Yeah, why don't we just lead with what you were just saying about physical versus uh, digital content. That's got to be our cold open, and then we can we can go from there. Cool. Yeah, I mean, so in, in uh, doing research for this episode, I, of course, Googled digital versus physical content, question mark. <laughs> and if you do that, it's it's kind of it's honestly eerie, right? Because it's it's kind of the perfect example of what we have talked about for ages and ages on this show is that every piece of content is the same. <laughs> so like literally, if you Google that or at least me, I mean, maybe the algorithm is, you know, has tailored to my content, uh, you know, likes and dislikes. But uh, it's the first entire page of google results was digital versus physical media which one should i choose right like every article has the same headline every article has the same lead every, they are all content it's and it's content about content my least favorite <laughs> <laughs> mad at content which i guess yeah. this show is technically content about content too but mm, yeah well so i i did the search digital or physical content and so I get like some statistics as the first result. Mm-hmm. And then I have a Quora answer that's something like, how are owning digital media and physical media different? Oh my gosh, I have I have a Quora also to read, which I thought would be interesting. Um, because this Quora is, is there a difference in marketing a digital product versus a physical product? And it the answer is from 2011. 2011, wow. Yes. That's some that's some evergreen content, as uh, as they would say at the content mill. So, yes, yes. Uh, well, and I for, yeah. So I mean, just side note, but evergreen content is content that's mm-hmm. designed to be timeless, which is uh, it's in reality it, it rarely ever is. In fact, you'll you'll find yourself running through the ironic, uh, uh-uh. uh, you know, routine of having to update your evergreen content. But yeah, 2011 that's pretty ancient for a first page search result. It's it's interesting. So it's interesting in, in two different ways, right? So the first way is interesting is because it feels kind of like proto content, like the way that this the way that the answer is structured, because mm-hmm. um, there are a lot of buzzwords. But it was 2011, so are they buzzwords yet? I don't know. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, I mean, I think there were some. There were you know um, there were buzzwords in 2011. They're part of the same buzzwords that we have now like i'm sure that things like big data was a much bigger one than than we have now uh, that it is now because now you don't really hear as much about big data because it's so it's such a basic concept but back then it was you know the concept of just having these incredibly you know petabyte scale data centers was not something most people would would easily gravitate to but now it's sort of just assumed you know I can upload my video to TikTok, it, even though it's 4K, it's a gigantic file. It's like it uploads in no time and, you know, is easy, right. you know. But back then, you know, that was not the case. So, you know, big data, which was always really hard, I thought, to write about just because it was so nebulous as a term. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Yeah, what does big data, well, anyway, that's <laughs> that's a whole other uh, well, thing. But yeah. What does that even mean? Nothing. <laughs> the answer is not like that's the whole reason we have this show is because the answer is nothing. The answer <laughs> is, yeah, big data is. <laughs> it doesn't really mean anything. Although it's kind of, I would say it's kind of a benign, meaningless word because I don't think it has really done the damage that 
content has done as a word. Oh, agreed. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just think it was something that was maybe, actually, I think it, it, it was something that was trying to help people understand things. Whereas content, I think it's the exact opposite. It's obfuscating everything. It's like, well, this is content, that is content, and these things you know, couldn't possibly be more different, but for some reason we call it the same thing. So we all, uh, well, there's a few other notes on my first page result. We also have, will we choose digital over physical in the future? And it's uh, it's kind of vague. It's from Ericsson, you know, the uh, the the IT vendor. And there's some uh, there's some kind of manufacturing consent going on here where they talk about how going digital over physical will you know reduce environmental impact. Which I remember re- I, that reminded me of how people used to always say like you know their app or their service would reduce the amount of paper you used and so on, and this would make like you know a huge environmental di- difference. And I think yeah, you know, I haven't. It's been a while since I've checked the numbers on this, but I think that's very debatable. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, this digital content has to live somewhere. I mean, it's the idea that it's uh, it's totally ethereal, and you see that embodied in the word the cloud, which mm-hmm. is also quite misleading. I mean, it, there are you know gigantic buildings, a lot of them in very dry climates for some reason. I guess it's a, you know, um, like in like Utah or you know, the American West. Texas. And then. To, and they use like massive amounts of water uh, to cool their infrastructure. So, you know, there's I know that with Open AI and Chat GPT, you know, that was a big or issue. I think with uh, Microsoft was a you know on one of their you know earnings reports, they're talking about how they're consuming all of this water to support their their AI initiatives. And then I was reading this side by side with something about how the Mississippi River was in a drought and it was so low that the pressure that normally keeps the salt water out of the New Orleans water supply was actually creeping up towards the water system. And so I was like, wow, we've really, we're really doubling down on. We really need that AI. We really need that AI to, to do the things that we, you know, can already basically do with other services. But anyway, it's, it's, uh, I, I I don't know. I just, I, I just have a, I have such a, there's just such a bad taste in my mouth about that. Right. Like, and and I think maybe it's a problem. Well, everything is a problem with marketing, but I think it's a problem of like folks don't really understand um, what uh, how technology works. I think I think technology is purposefully um, obfuscated um, in a way to make the quote unquote lay person like not want to understand it. Right. And so I, I just did a, I just did an event all day at work. Right. Um, that was, uh, essentially we went out into the, is a university and, um, had a, a, an information booth, um, for lots of folks across campus. And some of those folks, um, are, uh, blue collar employees who, you know, cut the lawn and, and work on physical projects and, and, you know, my my question when they come to my booth, I work in IT, you know, my question when they come to my booth is, you know, do you have any questions about technology? And they always say or this, the, you know, this particular um, kind of employee always say, well, I mean, yeah, I hate it. Right. Because <laughs> I, I mean, I just don't get it. And 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 that's. Yes, I. Yeah, <laughs> they, they don't. And it. it yeah. It, they, yeah. Yeah. And, it. and it's like <clears throat> a p- part of the problem is that we make it so 
um, intentionally, uh, like, what is the word that I'm looking for? We make it so intentionally, like, difficult to understand, right? Um, and by using these these content buzzwords, right, it makes it sound really fancy and important and, you know, uh, technological and stuff. But, like, what does that actually mean? And I I think, well, getting back to the point about data centers, right, is that when when you think about waste and you think about um, your environmental impact, you see images in your head, at least I do, I, maybe I won't speak for everybody, but you, but I see images of, you know, like giant piles of trash. You see the trash that's in the ocean. You see like physical products that are, you know, right. never decomposing in the earth. And I, you don't, you don't think about these literal miles and miles and miles of data center um, infrastructure that are using electricity, water, um, like it's it's <laughs> it's 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 incredible, right? Like, yeah. but it's not given the same shrift as as physical trash because oh, that's just a renewable resource. Oh, that you know, the, it exists in the cloud. It's ephemeral. It whatever. It doesn't mean anything. Nobody has taken the time really to. Um, make it a point to to like educate people about what it actually means well yeah sorry that I, when i look at like <laughs> when i look at a lot of a lot of technology what i think a lot of times one of my first thoughts whenever i see something new is like i think of well one day this is going to be thrown away and it probably won't even be recycled and it won't decompose because it's all like metal and plastic and things that you know are not biodegradable what is it going to do with the battery like battery and then like you think about uh well for example like the really the old crt tvs i think all had lead in them and you know all those are basically i'm sure the vast vast majority of those were were not recycled and so that lead had to go somewhere and so i mean this whole phenomenon it was called e-waste you know where uh and some there has been some movement in trying to get people to to re, to take it seriously because I think a lot of people, you know, they just say, well, my phone is useless now. I'll just throw it in the trash. And, of course, they tell you not to do that because the lithium batteries in them can catch on fire in, like, a trash compactor. Uh, not they, always. They but. tell you not to do that, but how many people are heating Yeah, because what do you, how do you properly get rid of a piece of, you know, technological equipment and, and even for... Even for large companies, I think this is not always a solved issue either because you'll see, you know, like sometimes companies will get in trouble because they, you know, they, they dumped like e-waste or they didn't properly dispose of something. Mm-hmm. And for example, like Apple, if you recycle something with Apple, like you give them an old device, they don't actually take it to a recycler. They just shred it. And I don't know if the actual shredded material is used for anything they it might maybe it's used for some kind some of their they do talk about some post consumer materials they make like they have a new they just replaced their leather iPhone cases with something called fine woven which is um, like a synthetic fa- fabric and they say it's like mostly recycled so I'm wondering if there, some of that might be in there but mm-hmm. I I think it's not like as as glamorous as they make it sound you know they literally just shred it so that nobody else can can use it 
Well, I'm uh, I, like I'm sure that it's not as glamorous, right? Yeah, and, <laughs> the and like uh, Best Buy had like a an e waste an e waste recycling program too, where you could basically give them anything, mm-hmm. uh, with a few exceptions, and they would you know say they would recycle they would do something you know ethical with it. They would try to recycle it or dismantle it. I but, took a battery to Staples last week, right? <laughs> like. I, yeah. but, but I don't know what they're doing with it. Yeah, it makes the me yeah, the consumer to feel better. I think recycling is like that just in general. It, it, it's You, you yeah. really feel good about it, but you don't know what's happening on the other end. And you know, especially with plastic is one of the worst. Like plastic is just, yeah. there's no, I think the the EPA or one of the regulatory bodies says something like they're thinking of coming up with a different logo for plastics compared to like paper and aluminum and you know, all the other things are recycled because that latter group is very easy to recycle. Like it's very easy to recycle aluminum, mm-hmm. but plastic is different because they're just apparently there's no real money in doing it. So it's not a lot of times, you know, people just don't, they don't bother with it. Like even if you try to recycle plastic, you know, where does it go on the other end? It might still end up in a landfill somewhere. Of course, there's no money in it, so why? Yeah, so why do it? Yeah, so the the spirit of capitalism. But <laughs> we love it. Yeah. Anyway, I, I was what you said about technology sort of being ephemeral or in the cloud or alienating. That was actually uh, that that lines up perfectly with an essay that I I sort of riffed on in my very first. Um, this has been you know more than a year ago, but on my old blog, uh, my Substack, it was an essay by Leo Marx called "Technology: The Emergence of a Hazardous Concept." And so I'd uh, I'd riff on this. The, the title of my post on the content, the emergence of a hazardous concept. But uh, so he he was talking about how um, the way technology is talked about, it's always talked about as if it's sort of a a, a disembodied like sort of white collar thing. And so I mean, so I'll just quote from his essay. So he says, "quote Whereas the term mechanic or industrial or practical." Arts calls to mind men with soiled hands tinkering at workbenches. Technology conjures clean, well-educated white male technicians in control booths, watching dials, instrument panels, or computer monitors. Whereas the mechanic arts belong to the mundane world of work, physicality, and practicality, of humdrum handicrafts and artisanal skills, technology belongs in the higher social and intellectual plane of book learning, scientific research, and the university. This dispassionate word with its synthetic patina, its lack of a physical or sensory referent, its aura of sanitized, bloodless, indeed disembodied celebration, or sorry, cerebration and precision, has eased the induction of what had been the mechanic arts, now practiced by engineers, into the precincts of the finer arts and higher learning. So I think he's really hit upon something there because... We don't, I mean, we definitely don't think of technology when we say it, or even though it's such a generic word, we think of it definitely as something that is done by like, you know, guys sitting at a computer. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, I, and, and guys being very intentional there because it, it overwhelmingly is, is men doing these things. Mm-hmm. And so it's, and, you know, so then the consequences of that word also is that we don't think about, we don't think about the underlying physicality at all. So we don't think about the minerals that you have to mine to, to make um, like a data center work. You don't think right. about like how all the, the storage media and data center has to be, you know, uh, expanded or swapped out and, you know, like, you know, just hard drives and so on, you know, by the thousands. And so, I mean, so we're going back to my, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I just like kind of the, the whole thing about 
technology for for most people is that it just works right there is no inner mechanism right like i again bringing it back to work that it's it's been it's been a rough couple of weeks at the university um our main uh learning management system um absolutely shit the bed last week and uh for about nine hours nobody was learning or doing homework or doing anything and (laughs) and like you know of course on the back end everybody in it is you know freaking out and like trying to figure it out and trying to solve the problem but the university doesn't like see that right the the, your regular student that can't log in to their coursework is just you know i can't believe that this isn't working but they don't have any idea like on the back end like why it's not working what what are the things that led to that not not working right right? and of course on our end, we don't know either because it was kind of just a, a huge mess. But there, it's so complicated. But right, but it should yeah. just work, right? It should so, just I guess work. The point that I'm yeah, is, and yeah. I think this is a good point about, or it's a good example of how what we call technology, and, we, and when we say technology, we we basically mean digital systems. So systems where at some point all the everything you're interacting with is a one or a zero to a computer. So the opposite of an analog system, but, you know, these systems are often very opaque and, you know, and being digital, they either work or they don't. And there's basically no in between. So it's sort of like if a file is corrupted, you can't open it. And if it's not corrupted, you can't open it. But there's really no in between where you can sort of open it and, you know, it, it, it's sort of in this in a state in between not working and working, whereas I think, you know, I've talked about this before, but in analog media, that's, uh, in analog media, you can have that type of in-between state. So, like, uh, the college I went to, while I was there, switched over to a digital course registration system. But for my first two years, you actually wrote the courses you wanted to take on a piece of paper. And you took it to the registrar. took it to the registrar. And so, you think about that. So, like, if you... If you, you know, on the digital system, if you put in the wrong number, it just doesn't accept it, like for the for the course. And if you put in the right number, it does. But then if you put it on the paper, you could write sort of an ambiguous number and then it would be open to interpretation, which you had kind of written. Or you could, you know, another thing you could do, you could, you could damage the paper, you could fold it up, you could do different things to it. And it would sort of be in this state in between working and not working. And it would really depend on the other person. Whereas with the digital system, it's either this works or it doesn't work and you have no clue, you know, why the fuck it's not working. Right. And then it's open or closed, right? Like, yeah, it's it's literally battery. I mean, it's know, battery code underneath. So, I mean, there's a battery outcome. So it's your digital signals, I think, they're either sent all the way or they're not sent at all. So it's uh, and so there's some there's some user hostility built in there for sure, because when it doesn't work. A lot of times, you know, this thing is something that you don't have any control over. You don't under, even understand how it works. Maybe, you know, if you're super technical, you do. But, I mean, in a general way, but you don't know the particulars of it unless you really had the opportunity to look inside of it, which, you know, the vendor has probably not given you because they're very, you know, guardful of their, you know, proprietary 
um, technology. And there's that word again. Um, so there's also a lot of finger pointing. Oh yeah. In a situation like this. Yeah. It was you. No, I'm pretty sure it was your system. Well, give yeah. me the thing to to let me diagnose your. No, but I, I'm going to do it. But but it. But you said it was, it was a nightmare. It was just a nightmare. Yeah. Um. It's. And, and I th- I I think. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I I was just going to say. So like with, I, I think there really is like some, a course you can sort of trace all the way from the heyday of you know, analog media and analog. Inter- you know, using paper, using um, actually, I think the best example here is a VHS tape, which is a, a technology that basically most people hate or they never really liked or, or never even with. used. Yeah. But uh, you think about VHS tapes, and you know they they would always sort of work, even if they were you know been played a ton of times, and they would play. But they would have sort of a noticeably degraded quality that you could see like a, a line on the screen where the tape had maybe been worn down or damaged. But it was really hard to get to a point where they just wouldn't work at all because they they weren't digital. So I mean, the, all the all the 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 video was was created by a very complicated process and in, inside of the VCR. And the other thing about VHS tapes is, of course, you could you could tape over them. You could modify them in all kinds of ways on of your own volition. You know, you could take a tape, you could tape a broadcast, uh, you could tape over that. You had a lot of control, to be honest. And mm-hmm. then over time, that was sort of lost because well, with DVDs were were pretty much too fragile, or uh, they, they weren't really very good for recording, you know, TV. And uh, you know, of course, being digital, if they got scratched they often would just not work at all. Like the, you know, they, they might, they would just freeze and that would be it or they wouldn't even load where, so there wasn't that sort of thing with VHS where it was like, well, it was pretty good. And then now it's sort of degraded, but it's still working. And it really, I'd probably have to like physically, you know, slice the tape for it not to work at all. Um, so it's much more fragile. And then of course it was aggressively copy protected. And then after that you got, you know, Blu-rays, even horror copy, copy protected than DVD. I don't I think people were able to eventually crack the encryption algorithm used on DVD, so you you could actually, um, you know, a lot of computers you can you can view. I mean, you can easily you get the the uh, the file off the DVD, but like the Blu-rays, I think it's much harder. And then with streaming, you know, then you've sort of reached another endpoint where you totally have no control at all because not only can you not fiddle with the actual file that's being played because it's on some server, you know, thousands of miles away, but all that can just disappear at any moment too. So, uh, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like, I mean, really, you could see. I mean, of course, I mean, important qualifier that you know, streaming is much higher fidelity than VHS or DVD even was. Although, to be honest, it's, I think it's still a lower bit rate than than Blu-ray, which is kind of funny because Blu-ray is like an eighteen-year-old technology. Mm-hmm. But um, so, yeah, like these things can just disappear at any moment. And, I mean, you see that a lot. Like, I know when, when HBO Max was rebranded to just Max, which uh, I was, you know, that is a whole, it's an SEO nightmare oh, of its own. Because, I mean, you know, of course everything I'm sure is that Max. Everything. everything is Max, yeah. So, um, you know, it's, they, but when they switched over to that, they removed a bunch of stuff from their back catalog. Like, they removed the, the Adult Swim cartoon, Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Which had been that had been streaming on there for a couple of years, and it was probably, you know, one of the more. I mean, I don't know if it, was, it wasn't one of their bigger properties for sure, but it was one of the more 
valuable ones probably that they had because well it hasn't been on the air for a while and i think the you know it uh the the dvds of it were out of print they were all quite expensive and so once it exited the max platform the only way to get to it was either to you have physical media or to pirate it somehow so and and i think you know this gets in another one of my you know, older posts i had uh I had talked about how, you know, like the, the the five sort of big assumptions that surround the word content. And one of the one of the uh, assumptions that I'd put in there was that content was essentially disposable. Mm-hmm. And, and so like the people who and the other thing, you know, another one of the assumptions was that the word content really centers the person who owns the container and not really the person who has produced the thing that's in the container. Um, so it's sort of like, yeah, this content, well, it's being contained, you know, the word implies that it's being, you're contained somehow by something, by something. And so like the, when you say something is content, really the story you're telling is not one of somebody making something so much that it is somebody containing something and maybe, you know, well, not maybe, but definitely, you know, making, trying to make money off that and then getting rid of it if it somehow doesn't suit them anymore for that purpose and so i think one of the things that hbo and i think disney did this as well removing shows and netflix removing shows from your own platform even though sometimes you you own them outright and it's because uh some of the i think they didn't want to play it was either like a tax benefit to do it that way or they didn't want to pay like residuals yeah um, you know by having them air and that was actually one of the big uh, i mean not not that specific thing with removing things from streaming but the entire issue of residuals was also, you know, a big uh, cause of the recent you know, strikes, like the WGA, which uh, recently got resolved, and then the ongoing you know, SAG-AFTRA strike. So it's well, you know, Disney's been doing that for ages, right? Yeah, and like the they, vault. yeah, the, the Disney vault, like yeah. they generate a lot of hubbub about it, and it's it's like it's great for their marketing uh, because it it creates a false scarcity, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the yeah. thing. And like back back in the days of you know, I remember they used to do the vault thing back when physical media was really the the main game in town. And back then, it kind of seemed a little. I mean, even even though it was still sort of a cynical strategy, it somehow seemed uh, I don't know precious or quaint somehow. Like, well, you know, we just didn't have enough uh, resources to keep this in print, but now we brought it back out, you know, for a limited time only, and right. you can get this collector's edition and blah blah blah. And now. Now it just seems kind of mean and 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 ridiculous because digital, you know, digital technology should be the opposite of scarcity because literally you can have you can distribute things at worldwide scale, you know, with a push of a button, and so you should there should never be an issue where it's like well we have to put it back to the vault you know and then we can click a button yeah. and bring it back out the whole the whole workflow seems quite silly when you put it that way. I, but, well, I hope I hope. This is my hope, and I say that knowing that it's probably not true, but it's my hope that that you're you know you're saying this like right. It seems kind of mean because it seems like the the digital technologies are readily accessible, and they like don't have to actually take that out of the vault and or to put that back in the vault, right? They don't actually have to do that, right? Because it's not a physical resource that's being well. Of course, it is, but. Yeah, you know, right now it's not yeah. the whatever. Like you would, 
I would hope that people recognize that as a cash grab. Yeah. Um, I would hope that people are more educated about that kind of stuff now, but uh, yeah, uh, you know, I waffle on on whether or not I actually think that. Yeah, I, and I think the fact that I think I, I in my original uh, post about you know how content was a, a hazardous a hazardous concept. One of the things was I quoted like a, one of Bill Gates's uh, old essays from 1996 where. You know, he's this is the essay where the phrase content is king came from. And he had said in this essay, quote, the Internet allows material to be duplicated at low cost, no matter the size of the audience. The Internet also allows information to be distributed worldwide at basically zero marginal cost to the publisher. Opportunities are remarkable and many companies are laying plans to create content for the Internet. So, uh, I mean, I think the idea that you can just create all this stuff infinitely and it has no there's no marginal cost to it and you don't have to, you know, make all this packaging and do all this physical shipping that does make it, I think more appealing to like the content owners. So like Netflix and HBO max and Amazon, Disney, you know, all everyone in in that boat that they can, they don't really have to care about older stuff as much uh, because they can just say, well, we, we can spin out something new and distribute it right away, and we can just you know, sort of flood the zone and have all this content that is you're know, completely overwhelming for anyone to try and to try and get through. So they don't have to be as you know they don't have to as guard as carefully the older things. So it's um, you know the, this detachment from any sort of any sort of physical uh, underlying thing it has made it where you know. Uh, you go into, a, I mean, not only with, with like streaming platforms, not, not only are you not in control. So like, as I'd mentioned earlier, you know, anything can be removed at any time, basically because of a licensing, you know, issue. And also you, if something, if it's, if the service is down, of course, you know, that's a problem too. You're not in control there. Any sort of internet problem on your end is also an issue. But the other thing about that is that, uh, you know, we've, uh, you know, with this, with content as well, it's sort of like it's like when you try and find something to watch with physical media, it sort of is like you were the curator, like you had consciously made the decision to get that. And with digital content, oftentimes it's sort of like the decision is being made for you or it feels that way it, it, because it's like, well, here's, here's things that other people watched or here's based on your watch history here's all the stuff you might like. And I saw something today like Tubi, you know, the free ad-supported streaming service was now going to use ChatGPT to try and recommend things to users, which oh. like gross. But yeah. uh, but the other thing too is like, if you notice in that Bill Gates quote, uh, the agent in that in that whole uh, passage is, is not a person, it's the internet itself. It's considered the agent, sort of like the internet is doing this, the internet is doing that. And of mm-hmm. course, I mean, we can say the sort of semantics to to get hung up on that, but it, it does sort of get to a point that actually Marx, Leo Marx mentions in his essay about how one of the reasons that technology, he doesn't like technology as a concept is it, but you know, the way the word works is it makes it seem like technology is the sort of prime mover. And it's just sort of like out here doing all these things that we can't do anything to stop it. And right. of course that's, you know, that's totally untrue because you know, if all the humans in the world died today, technology wouldn't do anything. I mean, it would it would be over. 
And right. so like it he doesn't have any actors, right? Like the technology itself does not actually have agency. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It says, um, so like Mark says, quote, to attribute specific events or social developments to the historical agency of so basic an aspect of human behavior makes little or no sense. Technology as such makes nothing happen. By now, however, the concept has been endowed with a thing like autonomy and a seemingly magical power of historical agents, agency. We have made it an all-purpose agent of change. As compared with other means of reaching our social goals, the, techn the technological has come to seem the most feasible, practical, and economically viable. It relieves the citizenry of onerous decision-making obligations and intensifies their gathering sense of political impotence. The popular belief in technology as a, if not the, primary force shaping the future is matched by our increasing reliance on instrumental standards of judgment and corresponding neglect of moral and political standards in making judgments about the direction of society. To expose the hazards embodied in this pivotal concept is a vital responsibility of historians of technology. So there's a lot of good stuff in there. It's real bleak. <laughs> but yeah, I know it's, it's bleak, but there's a lot of good stuff in there. I mean, of course, I think this essay is, is several decades old, but the thing about relieving the citizenry of onerous decision making, yeah. that's uh, the that's political really impotence. Yeah, the political impotence too. It's like it's like, well, you don't have to decide what to watch. We can tell you what to watch instead. Of course, the paradox of that is then you get this massive grid of things and you're like, Well, where do I even start? And yeah. and it's like, Well, if I watch this, I can't watch that. And I watch, you know, the you just start thinking about like opportunity costs, you know, like, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, I we've talked about that on this, on this. Yeah, show. we have. Decision paralysis and kind of how like Amazon is using these algorithms to push the, you know, whatever they. Yeah, that, and the other thing know. too he got was uh, the increasing reliance on instrumental standards of judgment. So that's a very um, yeah. old fashioned way of, you know, sort of saying, well, what does the data say? <laughs> but uh so I was thinking about this, too, because, um, I mean, so to try and go all the way back to, you know, how does content sort of fit into this? And, and you know, of course, you know, I have discussed that in those essays. But, you know, I, I think, uh, like, Martin Scorsese, you know, the director who directed you know, Taxi Driver, um, After Hours, you know, Gangs of New York. I mean, he, he, I mean, you can just go on and on. He's directed a gazillion movies that are that have been, you know, acclaimed. I think he, he won an Oscar for The Departed. But uh, I think what he had said about uh, so this the the offensiveness of content as a word has really I think taken on heightened uh, visibility with these aforementioned strikes at Hollywood, mm -hmm. and uh, so like Emma Thompson you know said that she thought it was a rude word to use, um, <laughs> and so I think that's and but I think what Scorsese was saying and and so, so there's some necessary backstory here as well. I think four years ago. Scorsese gotten he really set the internet on fire when he said that he didn't think that Marvel movies were cinema and <laughs> yeah and, and so he he really got into a lot of uh, hot water with well with t people on Twitter in particular who were really <laughs> mad at him over this but uh, bros who love Marvel <laughs> yeah so I think one of the things he had he had said in this recent interview though was that he he describes con instead of, he always when he uses the word content he always adds the adjective manufactured in front of it. Ooh, and I, like I think that. that's, I think that's really, um, I think that's really clarifying in a way because with, when you think about content, I mean, what is, I mean, there's so many things that you could criticize out the term that, that it's vague, that it's disrespectful to, uh, you know, people who do things that are, require a specific type of labor and you're just lumping them in with everything else. But I think he really gets it 
at the the heart of it that it's uh it's sort of like it's just an it's like industrial sludge or some kind of product that just that produced at just massive scale and i mean you think about something like uh i don't know dishwashing liquid you know like that's something that is it, it's just you know it's produced in in just massive quantities and you're not really even supposed to care about you know how good it is i mean maybe maybe it works good enough but basically it's just meant to be consumed and so and then it's sort of like you consume it and then you move on and i think he had, had argued against that in the um in the in the original New York Times essay, so when what what he had said about modern film franchises was that um, so he said about the Marvel movies uh, they are sequels in name but they are remakes in spirit and everything in them is officially sanctioned because it can't really be any other way. That's the nature of modern film franchises: market researched, audience tested, vetted, modified, revetted, and remodified until they're ready for consumption. So I, I think this is this is pretty good because. It, it makes it, it equates, you know, franchise filmmaking with basically the way a, a content marketing asset is is created, mm-hmm. where you're just doing the sort of keyword research. You're saying, well, who's reading this? Uh, you know, here's my you know, edits, and you know, let's do this. And then at some point, and, and the whole point is that it's going to be consumed, and it, it's almost like you're saying it's it's some kind of it's like food, or maybe almost like fast food. You know, it's right. like you, you've you've tested out all your new sandwich, and you know, you've you've uh, uh, tweaked the recipe a little bit. And now you're ready to make like a hundred million of them, and you know, uh, for for the year or something. Exactly, yeah. and all people are actually looking for is something that will fill their stomachs, right? Yeah. And like get the they're not they're not looking for a fine dining experience. They're not, you know, looking for something that will really make their brain tingle in terms of you know writing or creative work. They're just looking for information that may or may not be real. Or yeah. True. I know he actually said almost the exact same thing in the in the more recent interview where he says, uh, uh, "It's manufactured content. It's almost like AI making a film." And that doesn't mean that you don't have incredible directors and special effects people doing beautiful artwork. But what does it mean? What are these films? What will it? What will it give you? Aside from a kind of consummation of something and then eliminating it from your mind, your whole body, you know. So what is it giving you? And so I think uh, it is like it's almost like you're you're eating something and then you. And you, and then you, it's gone. Then you just sort of forget about it, like you're trying to remember, like you know, a week later. What did I have for lunch last week? And you can't, you can't even come close to recalling what it was. Of course. And so it's sort of like that. But um, uh, yeah. I mean, he he says, or go on. Sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. Yeah, and then he says it. Um, in that interview, he says like, um, like the, well. He does with with the manufactured content. He you know he says that I, manufactured content isn't really cinema. Um, and then in the New York Times piece, he had said something like, uh, there was really no, there's no risk involved. So you, you would always, you could go into like any one of these movies and you would never, you'd probably never, there's no, there's no way you could probably be surprised, uh, within a certain range at least. So like, I mean, you might say, oh, well, uh, holy shit, they brought back this character from, you know, 1955. We hadn't been in a movie, you know, ever. Right. But then you wouldn't, there wouldn't be something that would be like truly upsetting or, or moving probably anyway. I mean, I mean, the spectrum of outcomes is so narrow, basically. Yeah, and, like uh, with a lot of these stories, like it, you can see the beats coming, right? There's yeah, nothing it's, new. It's uh, in I mean, terms it's, of the story, in terms of narrative, and, like, and the reason, and the way we know that is that like a lot of the jokes about Marvel movies are often, I mean, they really hold up. So like the ones where 
you know, they say all the movies have like the, so that just happened, you know, dialogue or, <laughs> or uh, he's right behind me, isn't he, isn't he or something. And I think, I think that, I mean, actually I went down a rabbit hole trying to figure out where that came from, but it's actually a little bit older than those movies, but those movies have a lot of that type of cliche dialogue in them too. And it's become such a, it's such a cliche that both the, uh, I think the Venture Brothers, which I mentioned before, and mm-hmm. the animated series Archer have both made fun of this in different ways where, uh, I think the Venture Brothers had once something they somebody went off on some big story and then ended it with so that just happened and then Archer had something where yeah, there was some improbable scenario you know uh, where they got ambushed and somebody said he's right behind me isn't he and so <laughs> he was like the staple lines but like uh, he said that like in the New York Times essay he says I mean, the gradual but steady elimination of risk it, it you know, was a big feature in in how cinema had evolved and. Uh, quote, many films today are perfect products manufactured for immediate consumption. Many of them are well made by teams of talented individuals. All the same, they lack something essential to cinema, the unifying vision of an individual artist, because, of course, the individual artist is the riskiest artist and is the riskiest factor of all. So, uh, you know, and I think focusing on consumption is really good, too, because, you know, you do hear, like, you know, the phrase consuming content and content consumption and so there is like a metaphor of eating that that is often in through all of this, uh, you know, lingo about content, you know, or, um, it, you know, the other words that come up with content are um, compelling and engagement. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, those are just the ones that are off the top of my head. But they're, they're all sort of metaphors of things like you're, you're physically have to, like either the content is sort of a compelling content is sort of like it's a, it's a, it's a food that is, that is compelling you to eat it. You know, you're tempted to eat it. And then, you know, of course, you're consuming it and then you're or you're I mean, I just think how silly it would be to describe yourself as engaging with your lunch, you know. Um, but anyway, <laughs> that's going to beat me from now yeah. on. Yeah. Engaging with your lunch. I'm sorry, uh, I have to go take my lunch engagement hour. <laughs> lunch engagement, compelling lunch. Uh, and uh, I mean, so he, he so I, I mean, with content, with, I mean, with digital content in particular. So you have this incredible control over how things are presented, you know, because you, you own the platform, you know, you can pull stuff from the platform anytime. Uh, you, you can edit it and censor it. You know, that's happened with like shows like 30 Rock, I think had several episodes removed from Hulu because they had characters in blackface. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now those are basically lost forever unless you have the uh, the discs. So, uh, but so you have that control and you can also sort of taper everything to a very narrow spectrum of, of uh, outcomes. So you can say, well, here's my streaming service with all the superhero movies on it so then it's like it's really like you know i think scorsese would see as a, a real dystopia for cinema because i mean you really have no control and you're being you know sort of um i mean force fed is kind of i think a, a pretty a pretty good metaphor here because it's yeah. it's like how they you know industrial agriculture just force feeds like you know like uh animals you know so to make sure they can they can get you know as big as possible um so it's uh you know, he, he had also described, uh, you know, content, this Marvel content as sort of having a, um, you know, absolute indifference to the very question of art and an attitude toward the history of cinema that is both dismissive and proprietary. So, uh, you know, if you look at like Netflix, you know, I mean, Netflix is super proprietary because, of course, uh, you know, you have no control over anything that happens on the back end. I don't think they have an API that anybody can use, you know, to, to hook anything into and then, uh, of course, Netflix is infamous for having no movies from, like, if you try to find any movies from before, like, 1970, it's just like there's nothing there. Right. Uh, and so, uh, 
he calls it, you know, he, he says we have two separate fields. There's worldwide audiovisual entertainment and there's cinema. And then they still overlap from time to time, but that's becoming increasingly rare. And so, uh, you know, I think what, what's going on here is that you, know, you look at like how, you know, theatrical movies, you know, it's like now the movies that get like big theatrical releases are all, a lot of them are franchise films or sequels or remakes. So that, that was really what made the, the, uh, Oppenheimer slash Barbie phenomenon. So, uh, sort of the exception to prove the rule, because here you had like, you know, something, two things that were not really part of existing film franchises and who had directors who were sort of artistically inclined, uh, uh-huh. and, and who had a lot of control, well, complete control really over the projects. And, you know, he had mentioned that too in about how, uh, you know, he had cited Chris Nolan, you know, who directed Oppenheimer and then the, the Safdie brothers, uh, who had directed, um, uh, Uncut Gems. And they have another movie called, uh, from a while back called Daddy Long Legs, which, uh, mm. would definitely fit the definition of something that would be, if you didn't know anything about it going in, it would be quite jarring to watch in a way that like no Marvel movie could ever be. Um, so I mean, with, with, uh, you know, with digital content, I think the constraints that you, you had to work with there, you know, the fact that, you know, some mega corporation owns the infrastructure that's behind the digital media. So the data center, you know, all the content delivery networks, everything. So they have a lot of control. Then of course they use that control. It's not neutral. They use it to sort of enforce these sort of narrow notions of what is acceptable to watch. So, uh, even though you don't think you're, you know, being you know, that you're being affected by censorship and you know, like like explicit censorship like things being you know having the the curse words bleeped out or something like you know in a way there is a lot of censorship going on though because there's lots of things that are just not on streaming at all or they're you know they're all on there for a limited time then they're gone and then of course other things are just on there forever and like the you know, the various original series that are sort of hard to you recall after you watch them and a lot of a lot of them feel have sort of a, a samey feel to them because I mean they are as we said but like the Marvel franchise there is a lot of there's a lot of sameness there because it is you know it's all being optimized for consumption mm-hmm. um so you I, know we're, yeah. we're we're skirting dangerously close to talking about net neutrality also <laughs> yeah. which is like the a similar concept right yeah we, the they are you know basically yeah. throttling. Uh, yeah. cer- certain ISPs are throttling uh, certain or could have the potential to, maybe I shouldn't, allegedly. Yeah, yeah I think with net neutrality, <laughs> I mean, I think it's 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 good that they've tried to sort of, um, so like the Biden administration, they've tried to go back and, and make this more of a thing because it was sort of loosened during the, uh, the Trump years as far as like what ISPs could do in terms of discriminating against certain types of content on their network and giving other ones faster speeds and so on. And, uh, cause I remember there was something, you know, years ago where AT&T did something like sponsored data or something. So you would like go to like a conference that they would be sponsoring. And then you could, you could actually you know, use the, I guess the, the Wi-Fi at the hotel or convention center. And it would be, uh, for certain things, it would be faster than it would be yeah. for other things. And, um, uh, but, you know, in a way, uh, I mean, you could say that net neutrality is also, um, I mean, it's sort of the technical um, counterpart to this sort of ideological uh, motivation of, of digital content. So the ideological piece of digital content is, is like I described about in my 
older blog, which I'll put in the show notes, is sort of like, you know, you have all these things. They're basically disposable. I own them. You know, I can control them. Uh, there's nothing really new to to be invented there. And, of course, you know, another thing that's really uh, implicit in whenever some we're talking about digital content is that it's it's sorted and served by an algorithm. And, you know, the algorithm is, is of course, not transparent to you. So, and then, um, but then the technical component, you know, sort of like, well, this this net neutrality i mean i think a lot of these uh a lot of these isps would prefer not to not to have to follow net neutrality because in particular i think they used a lot of them used to complain funnily enough about netflix using all their bandwidth Mm -hmm. um, or other streaming services that were just consuming lots and lots of resources but they had to uh just give them the same treatment as you know, just some website, some random website that would you know, be much smaller and less resource intensive. And I think they wanted the ability to to say, hey, you know, Netflix, if you're going to use this so much, bad bandwidth will slow you down unless you, you pay like sort of a toll. Um, and I think now, you know, that would probably be I think harder for them to even argue because, you know, a lot of those ISPs, you know, they're, you know people use them mainly just to watch video. So, but, uh, in another way, I think with technical, with the, the net neutrality thing is that it's sort of a, I mean, trying to reinstate it. It's it's also kind of like, you know, it's sort of a shutting the door after the your horse has gone out of the barn thing, because I mean, it, it's helpful, but it's already so concentrated. Like, uh, you know, I think there's a company called Cloudflare, which, you know, does, yeah, they're domain everything. Registrar. They do everything. They do everything. They're the like cloud. Basically, if Cloudflare yep. doesn't like your website, you're just totally fucked. I mean, because and if Cloudflare has technical problems, we've discovered that at yeah. the university where I work. If Cloudflare because... ever goes down, it's like you will know it for sure. Good and then, uh, it's funny because it's since or Amazon Web Services, God forbid, uh, like one day, like Amazon Web Services had some kind of problem, and it was like everything from like Reddit to The Verge, it was like down because Amazon yep. Web Services was not working. So you already have all these choke points that are uh i mean amazon web services you have cloudflare you have uh these other like hurricane electric is another one that's like a big uh, choke point in terms of you know, internet traffic mm-hmm. and so really we've already gotten into this situation and uh you know with digital content i think uh you know things are such are so much more concentrated than they were with physical content so like video games being a pretty good example uh because it used to be there were so many like small video game publishers and developers and even console makers like, you know, Sega and you know, some other companies that used to you know, make their own hardware. But once everything went to a digital storefront, and this actually came out during the uh, the trial, that uh, there's like a Microsoft and Sony are, are arguing over, you know, whether Microsoft should be allowed to buy Activision. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. yeah. It used to be that like, you know, video game publishers, the whole purpose of that was to secure shelf space basically in a store so like you know, when, when all video games were physical you know you made a game you wanted to make sure that people could actually you know, buy it uh, yeah now, at GameStop you have the yeah. Nintendo wall the Xbox yeah. wall, Xbox wall and, the and the PlayStation wall, wall. yeah <laughs> and it's been I mean like even going back a long way I mean I used to, I mean you know you would have like a, I remember Sierra was a big publisher in the 90s he used to do adventure games and so they were pretty big and even, you know, pretty far flung stores that you would find some Sierra games. And, um, but now that it's all, that a lot of the sort, a lot of people buy, you know, games digitally, 
that's not as important because the developer can basically just put it right up on the storefront. But then, of course, who's running the storefront? Uh, it's these massive mega corporations. Right. So it's another like, it's, another choke point. Right? Basically, Microsoft and Sony and the Nintendo is kind of. I mean, Nintendo is you know, is a multi billion dollar company, but it's still quite a bit smaller than uh, than Microsoft or Sony are. Well, Microsoft it might actually be bigger in market cap than Sony, but uh, Steam. Steam is owned by Valve, so that's another one. Um, and so Valve is a uh, yeah. Steam is is another is definitely you know I, I don't think there's ever been any serious acquisition talks about that because I mean Steam I think is about about twenty years old now. But uh, you know with all of these platforms, you know the thing they have in common is that you know they're they're incredibly costly to maintain, so only a huge company can do it. And then of course uh, you know good luck having some service on there organically because you know all the all everything is algorithmically sorted and served, and you know it, the infrastructure is controlled by, you know, in ways that you know is not really transparent to either the the the, the company is trying to sell something there or the people who are buying from it as well. And then of course, you have like the various you know fees that get extracted. And, you know, um, uh, I don't think any of them any of the game platforms are quite as onerous as like Apple. You know, used to always charge thirty percent on everything, and then they would. Uh, and then in their earnings report, they would always break that down as uh, services. And so it was like, always they would always say services revenue was really growing fast. And you're like, what is, what, what services? <laughs> and you th- so, so what you think is like, oh, they must be just doing bonkers numbers on like iCloud, you know, plus subscriptions or Apple TV plus subscriptions. And, no. and I mean, that's, that's some of it, but mostly it's like people buying coins and gems and mobile games. So, uh, yeah, no, that, yeah, that, and that then that taking 30% of that. So, um, uh, uh, so yeah, so you have that digital, so with digital content, you know, I think it's it's just really in it, well, I and mean, people will say things like, "Oh, it doesn't have to be this way," like sort of like, "Oh, you, maybe we could have a digital platform where there weren't any fees, and you know, it would be I, I could I wouldn't have like an algorithm throwing things in my face. I could just like sort of scroll through like the complete you know listing. You know, I guess that would be really overwhelming to do, but um, you know, it, I, I don't know if that's really um, it's sort of like uh, this book I recently read about how the book was titled "There's No Such Thing as the Economy," mm. and uh, one of the things that this book tried to say was that you know the the uh, and I might have mentioned this on a previous podcast, but you know the uh, the economy is was often treated as sort of a domain of pure finance, and it has no intersection with politics or uh, sociology or philosophy or anything. Even though that's obviously you know untrue because you know economic theories have roots in philosophy, economic, you know, the laws that govern, you know, so-called markets are, you know, passed by, you know, political bodies. But the other thing it came, uh, it talked about in, in the book was sort of capitalism has a inherent value system that, you know, is always going to be there. So like, I think you gave the example of, um, heck the CEO of Wells Fargo say, you know, getting lambasted for, Wells Fargo trying to upsell all these people on you new know, different credit payment cards they didn't really need. And so it was a big scandal. But I think what he'd argued in this book was that basically anybody else in a similar position would have gravitated towards doing the same thing. And uh, I think that's right. And, and I think that's right with digital. And and my, and my point in saying that is that your digital uh, technology platforms, they always basically move towards you know, a consolidation of the players because only a few 
uh, companies are ever going to be able to afford the the data center infrastructure that is behind all this. And you'll be, they'll always uh, gravitate towards some kind of algorithmic favoritism towards certain types of content. Um, so you see that not, you know, of course in Google search results, as we discussed at the very beginning, but you see it like in the types of, you know, games and apps that always are at the top of like you know, the app store or the types of games that really, you know, dominate steam. Um, and then it's, it's also the other thing it always gravitates towards is, you know, sort of elimination of, of consumer control because, you know, like, uh, you know, the, the next revision to the Xbox series X, I think you will know, remove the disc drive, you know, for good, you know, and right now it's kind of ornamental because the, when you put a disc drive into it, a disc into an Xbox, it actually just copies that to the hard drive and then plays the game off the hard drive because the disc drive can't spin fast enough to play it at the, you know, at the appropriate speed for, you know, the, the types of um, technologies that it's using. Uh, whereas, but then now the Nintendo Switch does actually run the game off the cartridge. So, so uh, if you put a cartridge into a Nintendo Switch, the game is actually running off of the physical cartridge. And you can tell that if you take the cartridge out after you played for a long time, it'll be kind of warm. Warm, yeah. 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 So uh, because the way ROM cartridges work is they're basically just an extension of the of the system memory. It's like you're basically just make you're adding, you're literally adding a expanding... A memory the, card. The memory of, 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 the, yeah. of the system, yeah. Um, so it always gravitates towards that sort of user hostility where it's sort of like, you know, no, you can't have any sort of control over this. We're going to serve you this and you're going to like it. Um, and I think that that goes back. I mean, I think that is just an inherent, um, I mean, cause you, I think it's tempting to see these as sort of neutral systems that you can be reformed, but the system sort of has its own, it, it, it has its own system of values that's been built into it by the people who made it, you know? So, uh, you, know, you say that thing that you just said about how if they're going to, you know, this is what we're going to serve you, whether you like it or not, that, I mean, that, like you're saying is the inherent value of capitalism or like that's that's how capitalism attributes value yeah yeah i mean it, that's yeah. that's a whole other you know rabbit hole we could go down but yeah you know what what i think the point one of the points of the book that that it's by samuel chambers called there's no such thing as the economy is that you can't really take capitalism and try and graft some kind of other value system onto it like you know oh we'll do We'll do ethical, consumer-friendly capitalism sort of thing because it already has a value system built into it, right? Uh, and so it, it, it's sort of like and I think that that was related to his point about about the economy you know, acting like well, the economy is some kind of thing that we can separate. We can yeah. sort of separate it out, and it's here's this pure thing, and we can do different things to it, but really we can't because to do anything to it, uh, you know, that's going to intersect with so many other domains too. And, you know, it has all these other values that are already sort of built into it um, that we, you know, are, are kind of not looking at because, you know, we don't, I guess we don't want to think about them. We don't want to confront them. Um, so, but, you know, I think digital con- digital content um, gravitates towards monopol- monopoly in a way that physical does not, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, because with physical content, there's still some element there of like, I have this thing and it's, it's mine forever. <laughs> so it's sort of like you have, I mean, you, you own it. Whereas like, it, I mean, it, it, I mean, it's sort of like renting versus owning, you know, something, you know, with digital content, you are often renting it, even if you buy it in many cases, because like if some license agreement expires, uh, even something that you quote unquote bought, I think this happened on iTunes, you know, back in the day can disappear, even though you, you know, seemingly own it. 
Whereas like with, some, with something physical, you know, it's like, well, somebody will have to come and literally take it away from you. Um, so I have, I have two thoughts about that. Or maybe, maybe three. <laughs> we'll, we'll, let's see if we can get through them. So my first thought is I want to make sure that I am making clear here at 59 minutes into our record that I don't think that digital content is inherently like negative. Like, I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think that the i i think that there are some um positives in in be having access to um ways to publish your work digitally to um to read books digitally to you know listen and like i i think have uh, (laughs) having access to products and having access to art and music and education and knowledge in the digital world is uh, a, a s- objectively uh, a positive thing. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> I, I, I think, I think the whole, our whole podcast exists in this, however, yeah. right? Like I, it, we're, we're yeah. basically, you know, trying to determine what, what is the, um, what is the difference here between holding a physical uh, album versus uh, buying it on iTunes or like something I just thought of when you were saying um, when you were just talking was that like I can go like say I'm an I'm an artist right um, I I create uh, physical art and then I also create digital art on my PC well I can go to uh, like a pottery studio and I can like throw a pot and I can fire it and I can take it home and I can have a tangible physical item that like, like you're saying, like somebody would literally have to come to your house and take it, take it away from me if, if, if I, if that were to be a thing. Right. Yeah. But if I am a digital artist and I create digital art, well, I have to, I have to have a program to do that on. I have to have a, uh, a desktop computer to be able to uh, create that art and if that uh, device suddenly isn't um, compatible with whatever version of windows i have or the app needs a new upgrade or um, the platform that i'm posting all these pictures that i'm drawing right like somebody who does art and posts it um, uh, strictly to twitter like their whole world was fucked over the last couple yeah There's so many more dependencies you do yes. things digitally. Yes. And it's that's just not and it goes back even to our very early example of the like the registration systems at colleges where uh you have to get a digital registration system to work. Uh well, okay, I mean okay, so it's way more convenient than doing it by paper. You don't have to get out of your chair and go walk down to the registrar's office and so on. But the the amount of work to make that work is so much more so much more than it would in the old system, right. which is kind of ironic in a way because it's supposed to be all about saving time and saving efficiency. Yeah, it's supposed uh, it's supposed to be more convenient, but it's not more convenient. But it's, it's not more convenient. And I think I think what you see there is that uh, sort of ideology has won out. Um, and so, like the the tale that's often told about capitalism is that it's just like a pure efficiency machine that is trying to save time, trying to cut costs, and so on. And that's just not. Uh, that's just not true. Uh, it, it would, in many cases, it would rather, uh, ra- it, it would rather get its way 
then uh, you know do something that would be cheaper, but would what would be within a different value system. So like uh, like the strikes are a good example. Yeah. It, it would be really easy for Netflix to say, hey, here's our uh, you know we can pay you a little bit more so that we don't you know lose months and or, I mean maybe Netflix is not the best example, but I think it was actually it was Max so HBO Max. They were saying something like we'll lose X number of million dollars if if the strike isn't resolved by um, you know, Warner Brothers. Warner yeah, or something. Brothers. Warner Brothers yeah. is within the. Um, I've I've actually honestly lost track of all the mergers and that. It's a lot, but it's uh, too many. <laughs> yeah, but there's something like somebody says something like they've already lost more money from this from that they if they had just uh, like if they'd have met like the maximal demands from the unions on strike. It would have cost less than they pay their CEO in like one year. Like, I mean, yeah. it, would, it would be basically a trivial amount of money, but they don't want to do it they're, because they're trying to prove some kind of ideological point. Yeah, and the one uh, they're saying in all their earnings calls that they've lost so much money. Yeah, the strike, but it would have just cost less. It would have cost. It would have cost them a lot less to just say, "Hey, you can have everything you want." <laughs> um, yeah, and and people don't. It, it's hard for people to accept that because they think, well, these are just hard nosed businessmen trying to trying to make sure everything balances out. And that's, that's not what they're doing at all. Is sort of like how I think Netflix, you know, has had a couple of movies where I think like the Knives Out movies and so uh, Knives Out 2 had a limited theatrical run. And then after that, you could only watch it on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And theater owners were basically begging Netflix to let them show it more because it was basically every screening was sold out. Mm-hmm. And somebody was saying, well, this is kind of insane because the amount of money that Netflix could make by showing its movies in theaters would basically dwarf what it would make from showing them on his own platform exclusively yeah uh, and but they don't want to do that because that goes against the ideology that streaming is the future so it's sort of like there there has to be an you know uh some of the registration system being more difficult to manage or these sort of things being or these strikes or these things being you know gated on a platform instead of showing a theater it's all you know they're sort of like uh you know the efficiency is not being i mean it, it's not efficient at all it's actually quite quite a bit more cumbersome even though you know it seems efficient on the surface and a lot of times it, it is more convenient you know, like we said having being able to publish something digitally is so much more convenient than than having to do it physically you know i mean it's it's impossible to imagine like you know for example a content mill where everything was like paper pamphlets i mean it just wouldn't work at all mm-hmm. the whole model of, of making all that disposable you garbage you know it it just uh it presupposed the existence of a digital medium so, I mean, because nobody would want to read like a pamphlet and you 10 best, you know, cloud technology upgrades or something. Um, so, uh, but if you think of, about it, right, like, uh, well, I'm going mean, to refute basically yeah, what I just said. Like, <laughs> well, the only thing I was going to say about the digital, oh, I was going to add about the digital content, you know, being convenient, but also having these drawbacks was there's a sort of this meme um, where it shows Wario from, uh, you know, the Mario games and he's sort of has this look where he's downcast and there's like a, a cloud behind him, but the sun is sort of shining out a little bit. It's very, it's a very weird image, but he, the text is overlaid on it is, I've won, but at what cost? <laughs> yeah, so, I think about that a lot because it's like, well, yeah, you know, you can now publish thing, something and have thousands of people read it in a second, but you know, what were the, what were the costs to get there? What were the costs? To get and what are the there? costs yeah. of keeping to go, of keeping up with it, you know? And, uh, yeah. but, uh... <laughs> all that to say is that. It's the irony is not lost on us that we are creating a podcast that lives on the internet and all these proprietary platforms. We get it, right? But yeah, <laughs> but you know, but it's, it's sort of like the I mean, because it's like you know, 
I mean, uh, you know, we should improve we should improve digital content somewhat. And yet you use digital content. Curious. The old meme where someone says, you know, there's like a peasant walking around. He says, we should improve society somewhat. And there's like a, a smirking guy behind him saying, and yet you participate in society. Curious. It's sort of like the old thing where, you know, you'll be saying something like, you know, I think it's, you know, there are serious problems with the way iPhones are produced and, and and the way that like uh, Apple you know controls the system and the person will respond with and yet you use an iPhone you know? <laughs> like wow great I mean I think my, before I saw that uh, cartoon which is I think my, the best rebuttal to it the, the one I would always do is like yeah and uh, you know I want I'm an advocate for cleaner air and yet I breathe air you know curious <laughs> it's like I breathe in pollution every day and yet I want cleaner air you know I'm such a hypocrite God <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> anyway it's um, yeah, yeah I think. Yeah, I I don't know. So I I think I, I, uh, the connection. I, I keep coming back to this idea that like content and internet content and uh, digital digital content, right? Is <laughs> is actually physical? It is physical. There is it is physical. Phys- there's a physical yeah. component to digital yeah. content, but I think that most. Um, most people don't think that deeply about it, right? And most people don't, you know, uh, really. I, I mean, like we're the weirdos who are thinking about yeah, this. thinking about this story. Yeah, most of them <laughs> not would not think of it. I mean, they all are physical in some. It's some but people, you know. I was, I was looking at my notes from that essay that you uh, had mentioned the uh, technology, um, the emergence of a hazardous concept, the Leo yeah. Marx. And he talks about how technology as a word, like the the etymology of the word technology, just means like new concept, right? Yeah. It's a it's a branch of learning or discourse concerned with the mechanic arts, right? Right. Like, oh, great! It's a it's a it's a type of learning. It's a type of of activity, and then. They, he he talks about how um, somebody was uh, asked if if they had to sum up the oncoming age in one word, um, they said machinery, <laughs> and like and and it, it feels so to me machinery and technology the concepts of those two things have kind of become un un tethered. Like yes, untethered. They're, un- they're untethered from each other because nobody thinks of technology as machinery. Not anymore. Yeah, and then um, I think it's it's useful the way he traces that history in showing that your technology is really something that what was well, the the coinage and well not the coinage but the, the 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 widespread uses of that word was really to describe something that had already happened. It was trying to capture it in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he, oh, well, all this, all this big change, that's technology. And, uh, sort of like what's going on now with like how various things are being grouped under AI as sort of a, sort of a retro active explanation of what they do. Um, right. It's like a nebulous definition word that doesn't actually mean what people are using it to say. Well, however. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like what we had talked about last time about how yeah. if you'd called it, you know, uh, what is it? Statistical, uh, applied statistics. Yeah. It would have a totally different, you know, balance to it. <laughs> it would be something right. like, oh, well, that's just a bunch of nerds doing their math. You know, <laughs> that, that, I don't have to worry about that. 
But then once you call it AI, it's sort of like, oh, wow, it's sort of like something from a, wow, this like that, that's sounds the, like science sounds fiction. like science fiction. I saw this in yeah. a book and now I should invent it, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, yeah. I mean, mocking tone aside, but um, yeah. Yeah, he, I mean, that, that is a really good uh, essay and he he had gone, um, yeah, like, like I said, my first, you know, blog I ever wrote for my old Substack was, was sort of riffing on that. But uh, I mean, the thing he, the thing he really dislikes is the idea that technology itself is an agent. So, um, you know, because, you know, the the whole idea that technology is even a thing, it was a very human, you know, curated, you know, act because somebody had to decide that all of these things were called technology. And then this word took on um, a meaning of its own. So um, I don't know, Skynet. Skynet. Maybe it's Skynet's an agent. <laughs> yeah so i mean because yeah it's it i guess skynet or all those things are just so uh i find it kind of i mean it's it's uh, i just have no patience for it anymore I mean, someone says well what if we in uh it's like what if we invented skynet that'd be really cool and as i've said before you know no skynet was quite mad why would you want it why would you even want to try to invent it what would be the what would be the point of uh of inventing it you know it's sort of like uh what's that meme the 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 Torment Nexus. Yeah. The Torment Nexus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we've invented the Torment Nexus from the classic science fiction novel. Don't invent the Torment Nexus. <laughs> you know, it's sort of, uh, yeah. It's like yeah, there were like um, I don't know. I think when the when the X when the uh, what is it Connect uh, always on Connect on the Xbox One. You back about ten years ago, mm-hmm. uh, which I think they removed in subsequent editions. But someone said it, it's hard to think of a more literal implementation of the telescreen from nineteen eighty four. Yeah, the novel, yeah, the yeah. screen that's always watching and listening is like, wow, there's a camera that's sort of looking at me all the time, even when the console is off. Yeah. And you know, it's like, <laughs> uh, but, you know, digital content, you know, it, 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 you know, another thing it always, I think that's inherent in this value system is that it's surveillance is really important. Mm-hmm. That's why things are like always, they had, you have to be connected to the network at all times. Um, you know, the way that like Google results are, are curated for your personal search history and so on and your, location and everything else so surveillance is a huge part of it in a way that it just really can't be with physical media uh like i mean like a, a dvd box doesn't you know, isn't tracking where you go um but um so yeah surveillance is is another one but i'm just i'm still laughing at like uh how someone thought that yeah uh machine you know was going to be the defining word of the era you know and, yeah uh, but, yeah but but we have we have completely divorced machine yeah, because machine makes you think of something that is like, uh, well, it's cogs and and yeah, it's and, it's yeah. dirty. Yeah, it, it, I think above all, it's right, dirty. Yeah, right. So. It's it's a it's a blue collar situation. Right? Only and only blue collar guys work with machinery. Yeah. Well, and it's like the same thing you were talking about earlier about how technology has gained this like erudite sort of veneer to it, right? Like it it belongs in the university and in the you know. Yeah, it's like it's considered a it's considered a high um yeah it's con- it's considered like an elite sort of field in a way that uh you wouldn't get if you i mean even calling something engineering is not the same. Wild to me yeah yeah i don't i don't know where to end this because i i feel like we you know yeah you could really good you could really i mean this essay alone is is like did, you know thing. i just D- digital media is is a good thing, you know, when when it provides access to education and it provides 
access to, you know, consuming art and, and media that you wouldn't normally have access to. But also it's it, it's kind of providing this area for uh, capitalism to run amok, right, in the, the digital content world. Um, <laughs> and for, you know, to create that space for that, uh, what did you say Emma Thompson said? Disrespectful? Oh, she said that she saw the content was a, was rude. Was work. rude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For this for this really rude medium. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's just like, you know, you tried to make something that was unique and, and required specialized skill that just goes out of this banner of content, you know. <laughs> right. So, right. Um, but it's so it's a little bit of A and it's a little bit of B and you know, I I again I, I, I don't wanna uh lambast anything yeah. but it it's kind of for me really where we started right was looking at digital versus physical content and all of the examples on google the first right. page of google every single line is the same every <laughs> single headline the same yeah i mean that's I, the, it's it's really like you really get the sense of the industrialization or the manufacturing you know, that scorsese said about content yeah. you know there it's just it's, it's just that sludge. It's, it's like just, sludge, yeah. yeah. It's mechanically separated, you know, meat that's been put into a into a package and sealed. You know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so you know when you said that, I thought of like asphalt. You know how it's yeah. like a byproduct of like a plastic oh, yeah. creation or whatever. That's true. Yeah, it's well, it's funny because uh, you know the how you could do. Uh, I mean, you could do a whole blog or something on um, metaphors and concepts that the content industry has borrowed from the oil industry. Oh my gosh! The yeah, petroleum industry. So I mean, first of all, pipeline. Uh, oh yeah. And then, oh uh, gosh. Or like uh, that. That's that's really the big one. Yeah. But uh, I mean, even things like uh, I don't know. You think think about things like you know, this is this is going to turbocharge our growth. This is going to accelerate this. Uh, you know, we can extract more value from such and such, yes. or yeah. we need to drill down into blah blah blah. Yeah. Or uh, we need to refine this. <laughs> I mean, oh you can just God. keep going. I mean, you know, there's so many. I'm going to get PTSD just from listening to you. <laughs> yeah, it's because, I mean, you think about, I mean, like like you said, like, you know, asphalt and things. A lot of, a lot of things in the oil industry are, are are byproducts or that they or they've been you know, separated out from some, you know, much more crude, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, underlying material. And then I think with uh, with the content with the digital content industry, I mean, you, you do have some, some of that sort of same thing going on, you know, and it's, uh, but, uh, yeah, I think a lot of the, a lot of the content providers do think of themselves sort of as like, as like, you know, oil and gas companies that are, you know, that they have a pipeline, they're filling it up and they're, it's going, you know, to these places where you can get it, you know, and it's sort of like, it's, it's very mundane in the way it works and it's very mundane in the experience of using it. I mean, cause like, you, you know, you get, gasoline or diesel i mean you don't really think about like well is this you know a super high quality thing with a unique attribute to it? it's just like it's something you totally utilitarian right and so uh it's uh you know it, it and that logic has sort of passed over into digital content too i mean especially uh i mean just the idea of like you know of pipelines and delivery systems and so on um, it's very methodical I, I like the way that 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 you use that word to describe it because it's very. I mean, it is. It's a step by step process, and it's not. There's nothing creative in it, or at least, I mean, we tried. Yeah, we tried. <laughs> I, yeah, and we we tried to inject some creativity into it, but but it was very much. Well, I mean, there was always 
the the directive of yeah. <laughs> oh be be creative like oh okay <laughs> let me just turn that on real quick but like I I, I think it's 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 a product it, it literally is a manufacturing industry it's the content industry oh my gosh we got there we got there the industry yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is and it yeah. but I mean it but it literally is just like a manufacturing line right and yeah. it's it's the the metaphors that that we can use whether it's like you know the the oil industry or the manufacturing or like I, I mean i keep returning to this like physical physical metaphor of of digital content like i mean it's it's all connected right right yeah it's uh it's there is uh, there is something underneath there, even though it seems so ethereal. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's sort of yeah, it's sort of like you know you think about um, well, with oil with oil products like you know plastics or gas or anything like that. I mean, uh, I guess there you can sort of still see the connection to the physical world, but you know people don't really probably don't think about it as much. But uh, I mean, they, well, they, they don't think about it much, but they probably do. do it. It's more obvious than it is with digital content, where it's not really apparent. You know, what is what are the underlying physical realities here? Uh, you know, the water or the storage space, the electricity, and so on. Um, you know, but they're still there, and so and, and often, yeah, you know, they're they're really there. You know, what you would call hyperscale. So I mean, they're you know, there's tons and tons of it. Yeah, the, the water alone that has to be used for data centers. So, uh, yeah, the point of, you know, I think it's, it's worth thinking about, you know, digital content, you know, how the way it is, the way it is for you know, a lot of reasons. And, and, um, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the idea that it, it is built on, you know, lots of extractive industries and, uh, you know, just like, just like the oil industry is, you know, is, is built on extraction of, of, you know, petroleum, uh, and natural gas, and so you know, dig- you can think of digital content as you know the extraction of the extraction of, of data center space, um, and more than anything, yeah, yeah. and water and electricity, but and blood, sweat, and tears from content writers, <laughs> and yeah, and and that too, yeah. So there's, you know, I I think I, I said that I didn't know how to end it. I th- I think I've I think I found it. I think my conclusion, um, for me is, you know, we're not saying the digital content is bad. We're not saying that physical content is better, or, or at least I'm not. I, I think I would, I, what I really actually want to focus on is consume, here I go, consuming this kind of content and consuming this media and, um, uh, you know, thinking about, thinking about my um habits of of content consumption with a little with a little more intention right like actually um consider what i'm doing and right. consider how it's happening and consider the processes that are taking place not i mean not like the ones and zeros on the screen but like like you're talking about right the extraction process yeah. of like I mean, we yeah. we are putting all of this digital content online but like at what cost? Yeah, at what cost? And also another angle I would just say is like, how did this particular piece get my attention? 
you know, like, why am I yeah. watching this show or list? I mean, you know, what was the system of things that had to happen for that to sort of, you know, be in front of me? And it's, I think it's a very different process than it would have been back in the day. Like, you know, when it used to be, um, I actually blogged about this a little bit about music, uh, about how you used to, you could go to a, a physical music store and browse and you might find something that you weren't expecting to get, you know, to, to be there or yeah. as you didn't know about and you'd be like, oh, well, maybe I'll try this out. It's and really hard to get that experience. You can't really get that now yeah. because, I mean, there's, everything is a pretty narrow range for like, well, you watch this, so here's all the things that are exactly like that. <laughs> right. And then, uh, or, yeah, not exactly, but, you know, very close or. Uh, and how do you discover the new things that you like, right? Like, you you can't go to, you know, Spotify or whatever and listen to your Japanese pop music and yeah. this is your favorite. And I say that because that's all I listen to. Yeah. That, you know, that's my favorite thing. And then completely, and then Spotify is like, actually, I think you would like um, Baroque uh, instrumental uh, media. <laughs> and yeah. I I do, but Spotify would never make that connection, right? Like, yeah. if J-pop is the only thing that I am listening to on Spotify forever, it won't it won't suggest completely opposite genres to me, right? And but maybe I do like those things, <laughs> right? Yeah, so, maybe you do, and yeah, because it doesn't know, and then um, so in a way, it's it's kind of, I mean, it is it's not it's not really that intelligent, and. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, the, and then the way the algorithm works is that in some way you then sort of, some people do at least, they, they sort of adjust their behavior in response to the algorithm. So it's sort of like, you know, maybe I can, if I can listen to this, if I just keep listening to these things and, and, and maybe I'll like this, even though it doesn't really have that much benefit for me to like it. Uh, yeah. And then maybe they'll get, the algorithm will give me something else, you know. And so you're sort of consciously changing your own, the way you interact with, with the, the music just because, you know, you're trying to game the algorithm in some way or or to you get more out of it. I do that on TikTok all the time. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I know it's, uh, but. But yeah, maybe, maybe that's where we can put a pin in this, right? <laughs> so we, yeah. it just be more conscious of, the kind What's of media yeah. that you're consuming and and how uh, you know how your digital content gets from farm to table these metaphors are getting out of hand <laughs> lunch engagement yeah so yeah. i think that's gonna be the title of the episode you know oh good I mean, some, something maybe not that exact thing but something riffing on that stuff so, by <laughs> farm to table lunching Far, farm to table content or farm to table <laughs> digital content yeah uh, but you know, yeah, just be be more mindful of right. the yeah. media that we're consuming and producing. Because yeah. you know, the whole time we make this show, I think, well, we're making content about content on top of content, <laughs> and but I I feel like us, you know, uh, thinking critically about it. I think that's where I, I I want to be. I want to be thinking critically about about these kinds of things and about the media that. I am uh, uh, yeah, participating I, I, in. Yeah, I think it's useful to do that too because I think that the New York Times had a recent piece where somebody was saying that she'd actually listened to more music when she stopped uh, using streaming as much. Um, yeah. Because she had actually been more, instead of just say, like loading her old library with lots of things that she could never get around to listening to because there just wasn't enough time and 
you know, the decision paralysis and so on. She instead was like, I really like this thing. And, you know, I'll, I'll sort of, uh, go all in on that. And, uh, you know, and so that's a little bit different than, you know, having this sort of infinite choice, seemingly infinite choice at your fingertips. And then realizing that, you know, well, I don't really have time to get around to it all, you know, but it's all being sort of force fed to me. I can't really, somebody I can't resist, you know, I just have to get my you know finger into every single pot here. Um, but then she was like, well, when I sort of scaled back on that, you know, actually I ended up, ended up listening to more because I was like, well, where's this album? Uh, you know, how can I get this? Like a, she says she used like Bandcamp where you can, you can buy like digital albums and I think maybe physical ones too much, but now you can definitely buy MP3s there or, you know, having like a, a vinyl copy of something. And of course playing something on vinyl requires a lot of uh, effort because you'd have to like, you know, get it out of the sleeve. You have to be really careful with it. You have to set it down. You have to move the needle. You have to flip it over. You know, so you get a lot of, uh, there's a lot of interaction there. A lot of intention. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then so you have to be really intentional. Whereas a digital content, so like, well, I just sort of, I mean, close it. You click it. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I've been thinking about, um, just as a side note, about investing in some vinyl. I don't even have a record player, but yeah, yeah. I, I, like I said earlier, I've been thinking a lot about how, how iTunes could just go away to, go away tomorrow. Yeah. And I, it won't, but it could. It could. Yeah. <laughs> you could get locked out of it too. Like you, somehow you could be unable to access your account or something. Yeah. Uh, so that's another thing to, to think about. But yeah, I mean, vinyl is pretty, pretty cool pretty cool because i mean there's there's nothing digital about it at all so it's yeah it's analog sound and uh you know it, you can scratch it and so on you have some problems there but i mean it'll it'll basically always play to some degree um assuming the the needle and everything are, are in good shape and then uh but i think new vinyl a lot of times it, it's, it is useful because some of the vinyl editions have like they have sometimes they have extra tracks or they have different mixes or different sequencing or um, so on than than like the digital equivalents do, mm-hmm. or uh, I got I mean sometimes albums that were especially albums that were originally recorded on four vinyl. A lot of them they made the transition to digital. Like the remastering was maybe a little it it sort of changed them in quite maybe not always for the better either. Um, and then some some vinyl albums so they have like well, some of the sides are are themed. You know, like, yeah, side A will be, like, you know, themed around a certain suite, and then side B will be a different suite, but then, like, you wouldn't get that on digital. On digital, they would all just play back-to-back, and there'd be no... Right. Yeah, and then, uh, uh, or the other thing, too, is uh, that you don't really get in... And this is kind of funny, because it seems like it's kind of advanced for such an old technology, but some vinyl records end in infinite loops. So, uh, you know, the, the la- they, when they get to the last groove on the record, mm-hmm. the groove is locked. Uh, and so it just keeps spinning around and around. And if you don't, t- if you don't touch it, it just keeps going. Um, and, uh, uh, of course you couldn't really do that in digital because at some point that you've reached the file size limit, you know? Right. Uh, so, um, yeah, it is fascinating because something you could only really do with an analog medium because, um, uh, you know, at some point, yeah, there are hard limits to, to digital <laughs> in a way that it's, you don't really think about so i think so well, the, that's the whole thing that you don't think about <laughs> you don't think about it yeah you don't think about the limits but um yeah but it says there are like i think the beatles album sergeant pepper's lolly hearts club band the vinyl mix the vinyl edition that ends on an infinite loop 
Huh. Um, but then on TD, it's, I don't remember how long it is, but it's not, you know, it's not infinite. So. <laughs> For sure. You know, yeah. So. Well, well I think yeah. can wrap it up there probably. So. I think we put our pins yeah. in it. We've got a, a hundred minutes here. So. Yeah. So. Well, so I am Liz. Um, I am still blogging. I blog at LizMakesStuff.com. I am getting ready. Alex doesn't know this yet. I am announcing it right now <laughs> in front of everyone. Um, I'm getting ready to uh, uh, embark on yet another round of National Novel Writing Month. Um, and I am little bit, I am being intentionally laissez-faire about it this year. Because every other year is like, I'm going to do it. This year is like, if I do it, great. If I don't, also great. Um, but I, 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 will, I hope we can talk a little bit about that in a future episode, I think. Yeah. Um, National Novel Writing Month is uh, famously very content generating. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's the whole name of the game. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so anyway, uh, yeah. catch, catch me on my blog where I will be talking about that at length. Yeah, and then, um, of course, I have my blog at content-lab.agency, so uh, I've been updating that with some shorter stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I haven't, I've never really done National Novel Writing Month, but, uh, you know, the the quote-unquote, you know, content that I do have uh, is sort of this, uh, you know, experimental stuff where I've tried to mix, like, uh, various real-life observations with sort of, like, more abstract uh you know, interludes and try and like, you know, seamlessly flow between them. But I, I've got like one segment of that and then I've, I've thought about some other ones that I could do. So maybe this is like, uh, you know, the good opportunity to generate some more <laughs> content, <laughs> some content content month, yeah, content. Na- national content yeah. writing. <laughs> yeah. And then of course the, uh, you know, the web, the podcast itself is on literally dot party. Um, so you can just type that into your browser and uh, if you ever want to, you can see all the episodes there, and you can also, you know, see the episode feeds within different clients like Apple Podcasts and um, Spotify and so on. And uh, the one that we didn't uh, do, uh, Google Podcasts, is a uh, you know uh, perfect timing here. It's actually being retired. <laughs> YouTube. Oh, good. Google is moving all of the podcast content into uh, into YouTube Music. So, um, right. Yeah. So we don't yeah. have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't figure it out. I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Good. It's, it's, it's the best type of problem to have. You know? <laughs> yeah. Get so, another way to digital media. It's just <laughs> being more convenient. For yeah. Us. Being right. more convenient. But then I just think if you'd got all in on Google Podcasts, oh, that one's like, you know. Yeah, not that I don't know. I don't even know how you would do that, but I'm just imagining somebody <laughs> who is like a hardcore Google Podcast person. Only not a Google Podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, All right. thanks for listening, and yeah. uh, we will catch you later. Yeah. Thanks for listening.